So this morning, we're making a transition um, to a new series in the book of Hebrews for the next three weeks as we walk into Holy Week, particularly next week. Uh, we're going to be doing a short series on Hebrews 11 and 12. And so this morning, our scripture reading is going to come from Hebrews 11. And we're going to look just at the first three verses for the scripture reading um, before hearing it taught more on. Would you hear the word of the Lord? Hebrews 11, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray for us one more time as we transition to the sermon. So I invite you to pray that God would speak to us this morning through his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the words of scripture. We pray this morning that they would find a soft place in our heart. That the words of the Holy Spirit would be the resonating words this morning. That they would find a place in our heart to teach us and to show us your beauty. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I'm interested this morning as we start this new series. This new series is entitled Fixing Our Eyes on Jesus. Um, and so it comes from Hebrews 12, which we're gonna get to mostly during Holy Week. So I'll get to that part in just a moment, but. Let me just explain a little bit about this phrase, fixing our eyes on Jesus, because we're going to learn a bit, little bit more about that through the scriptures. But it kind of spins off of another phrase or a couple of phrases that we often use in the world today. So a couple of phrases um, came to mind this week for me that I want you to consider. Um, think about the last time you said some of these phrases. I couldn't take my eyes off it. Or... My eyes were glued to it. Or I just simply couldn't look away. I want you to think about when was the last time you said something like that? Like, I couldn't, I just couldn't take my eyes off of it. I had to keep watching it. My eyes were glued to it. Um, kind of like when everything else in the world seemed to fade to the side and now nothing else mattered except what was right in front of you, what you had your eyes fixed on. So it could be maybe a spectacular sunrise you saw recently. Or if you're Pastor Stephen, maybe a really good basketball game that was on TV recently. <laughs> I just couldn't turn the channel. Or maybe it's you went to see your child or your, or your grandkid perform in a play and you knew their part was coming up and you didn't want to go use the bathroom because you didn't want to miss what they, when they were coming up. Or maybe even to take a more serious tone, think back to 9-11, 22 years ago, whenever you first heard the news and you turned on the TV and you just couldn't turn the channel because you didn't know what was happening and your eyes were glued to it. 
Honestly, as I began to kind of think about those kind of things, I began to realize from my own life how rare it is that I'm able to keep my attention fixated on one thing at a certain time. I began to realize that there's very few instances that kind of catch my full attention like that anymore. And I think part of the reason is, is we just, we live in such a distracted world now. There's so many things happening at one time and you can just, you can find things that, that are, are wonder induced things without actually having to experience it. So for instance, a sunrise, maybe you actually see a beautiful sunrise in the sky But, you know, you also could just Google a picture of a good sunrise and see the same thing. Or that basketball game that's really important, you know, maybe I could could turn it off because I can just find it on YouTube later. Or, you know, just go down the list. Being in the moment now is kind of hard to do. With the smartphone and with distractions and with a fast-paced world, it's very hard to be present on one thing in the moment. I would say, in short, one of the sneaky things that our world has gotten really good at that's probably not to our benefit is multitasking. We've all become very good at doing more than one thing at a time to the, to the detriment of being fully present in the moment and fixated on one thing. I, I just did a quick... Speaking of Google searches, I did a quick Google search this week on multitasking. I just was interested to see what people were saying about, is multitasking a good thing or a bad thing? Because most of the time I hear it used, it's in a positive way. It's like, oh, it's good. You're getting more things done all at once. But as I researched some articles just very quickly, I found three quick articles that were talking about how multitasking is actually a bad thing for us. So let me just read the titles to a couple of articles. First article, five ways multitasking is bad for your mental health. Multitasking may be doing you more harm than good. Here's how to break the habit. Second article, busting myths about the power of multitasking. Today's work culture promotes multitasking as a religion, even though research has proved that monotasking is more beneficial this must change. And then the third article, multitasking can hurt your productivity. Here are ways to improve focus. So that was actually really surprising to me that the world itself is seeing that having a singular focus, we need to get back to that. We need to learn how to fix our eyes on one thing at a time because maybe multitasking is more of a curse than it is a blessing. Maybe it's more of a problem than it is a solution. Maybe being efficient and doing multiple things at once isn't as important as just dwelling on one really important thing. So as we enter into Holy Week, that's what we're going to try to learn to do together, is to fix our eyes on the one really most important thing above all other things, which Hebrews 12.2 says, fix our eyes on Jesus the author or the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the Christian person, nothing else ultimately matters apart from Jesus. He is the central aim and goal of life. And yet, in a multitasking world, it's so easy to have Jesus plus. 
So the call for us these next couple of weeks is to just how do we fix our eyes on the one thing, on the ultimate thing that is most important. On Palm Sunday next week, we're going to focus on the person of Jesus primarily as the pioneer. And then on Maundy Thursday, we're going to talk about Jesus, the joy set before him. And on Good Friday, we're going to talk about how Jesus endured the cross. And then on Easter Sunday, all this is from Hebrews 12 too. Easter Sunday, we're going to look at how Jesus sat down at the right hand of God the Father and is reigning. How do we fix our eyes on that Jesus, the one who did all those things for us and that then unlocks true life for us? But all that is actually not for today. Today, we're going to go back in order to go forward. And so today, Hebrews 11 is kind of the introduction to learning how to fix our eyes on Jesus. And Hebrews 11 introduces us to a very basic concept that we struggle with. And the concept is faith. Faith. The answer for learning how to fix our eyes on Jesus is learning how to live by faith. Again, this is very rudimentary, elementary Christianity, right? What is Christianity? It's faith. But what is faith? How do we actually live by faith? How does that help us to fix our eyes on the goal, on the one most important thing? So I'm going to give you a couple of, couple of things to chew on this morning from Hebrews 11. We didn't read the whole chapter, but I encourage you at some point to read through Hebrews 11 this week. It's just it's an electrifying chapter. I'm going to give you a couple of things to look at this morning from it. So what is faith? What does it mean to live by faith? The first point that I want to make is that faith is aimed at looking forward. Faith is about looking forward. Looking forward to what, you may say. Look at the first three verses. These are the the verses that I read for the scripture reading a moment ago. The first three verses of Hebrews 11 give you a definition of faith, and they aim us towards one particular future-looking reality. Faith is seeing a world that others can't see. It's looking beyond just what we see as options right in front of us. So uh, Times Square, maybe some of you have been to Times Square in New York City before, but it's a sensory overload experience. If you're standing in the middle of Times Square, you just see lights and advertisements and TV screens and people and moving cars. There's just too much to look at all at once. Those are all things that are around us that we can see in this world. You know, next week, actually, I read that uh, at some point early this upcoming week, you're going to be able to see, if it's a clear night sky, you're going to be able to see five planets in the sky. You're going to be able to see Jupiter, Mercury, Venus, Uranus, and Mars, if it's a clear night sky. No telescope required. You can see literally other worlds in the sky. But that's not the other worlds that faith is inviting us to see. The other world that faith enables us to see is the the spiritual reality of what life really is supposed to be like. A place of ultimate perfection and hope. Faith gives us the eyes to see that. So in the words of scripture, it says here, faith is confidence in what we hope for. So step one then is identifying what do you hope for? 
And for people, or for especially Christians, the hope is for a best case scenario existence, a place where there's no pain, a place where there's no suffering, a place where everything makes sense and is perfectly put into order and is right. For Christians, hope is not just wishing something would happen. Hope is the reality of a new place, of a new reality, of a fulfilled, redeemed, new heavens and new earth, where the kingdom of God is coming and everything is redeemed for good. As, as one author says, everything sad comes untrue in that place of hope. Gone with the old, in with the new. That is, that is the hope if we were to identify it deep in our hearts. Now, how do you have, how do you have confidence in that? Because that's what the definition of faith is. Faith is the confidence that that actually is going to happen, that that's actually going to be here, that that's actually waiting for us. You notice here that faith is not hope itself. Faith also is not just wishing that something would come true. Faith has more solidness than a wish does. And faith also is not the place of arrival. Faith is what gets you the ability to have confidence in the hope that is coming. I know this is a bit tangled here, but what are, to understand what faith is, we have to un, untie this knot here. Here's two practical ways that faith gives you confidence in what is to come. Faith places you something to live into, and faith actually moves you forward towards it. So think of it this way. Through faith, you experience a taste of the joyous, purpose-filled reality that you long for. So when you put your faith in something, you're actually beginning to live into it now before you actually arrive there. You dwell within the new world that you're actually longing for. You're saying that my life, as I'm experiencing it right now, is not all that there is. But it's more about what my life is for. It creates a new worldview. Faith itself becomes a confidence in what is to come. You begin to experience the tomorrow today in part. Now that still may seem a bit vague, so let's go to the next part. Faith enables you to move forward, to progress into that next something. Through faith, you actually inch every day a little bit closer towards hope. Towards the day, the capital D day. You know, there's, there's one author that loves to say, and he'll post it on Twitter almost every day. He'll say, quote, Christian, today you're one day closer to heaven. Do you feel the confidence that that gives you just right when you hear that? You're actually one day closer to heaven today. That's faith. It's inching you forward towards that new reality. Faith is saying this is going to happen I believe that I am one day closer and that I'm inching towards that. And I think your everyday life actually changes when you have that kind of perspective on your mind. I'm one day closer to my real home, to my real hope, to my real existence. And that then transforms your day-to-day living today to live by faith. Martin Luther, the reformer, says that true faith is a living confidence in the goodness of God. 
True faith is a living confidence in the goodness of God, that what he says is going to happen will indeed happen. Now, Hebrews 11 also says that faith is not just um, confidence, but it's also assurance in what you can't see. Where that word assurance really is, you could translate it evidence, that your daily life is actually the evidence of what is to come that you can't see. So faith is not blind in that sense. Faith is actually alive. Faith is being lived out through you so that you become the evidence to the people around you. And the church together becomes the most resounding evidence of what is to come. Faith is what is given to those who want to see beyond what they really can only see in part today. C.S. Lewis just has a, a great quote that I think brings this to light. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Faith then is the evidence or the argument that what is invisible to us is actually still true. Though we can't see it, it is coming. Without faith, you can say nothing is known for sure or nothing else is coming, nothing is guaranteed. But with faith, tomorrow's hope becomes unlocked and your faith is alive. It's the evidence itself. The hope of tomorrow is impossible without faith. And so when when you begin to understand faith this way, that faith actually gives you eyes to see another world, then Like we sang earlier, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Your perspective, your eyes literally begin to change, I think. And you see things differently here. Faith is seeing another world, but with new eyes, a new lens. Your circumstances may not change, but you view them differently. Another theologian, A.W. Tozer, Faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. So that's the first big point for us. Faith is seeing a new world, new eyes to see. Second point, and this is, this is again where Hebrews 11 just takes off. And we're not going to have time to read it all today. But if you read from verse 4 all the way through verse 40, you get 28 plus examples of people that lived by faith. And this is the point I'm going to make is faith involves looking around at others around us. So I don't know, there's 50 people or so in this room today. Faith involves us looking at each other and learning what it means to live by faith. But here's the catch without comparing yourself with them. We learn about faith evidence from looking at each other, learning from each other, but without comparing our faith with one another, learning to live by faith together. And that's really important that we remember that second part because it's really easy to compare, right? It's like, well, my faith isn't quite as strong as that person's or my faith's pretty good in comparison to that person. That's not what we're trying to do here. And so when we look at Hebrews 11, we see examples unique examples of how people lived out their particular life calling in faithfulness to God. 
So let me just kind of give you some images to think about. Again, since we can't look at all the 28 plus examples, um, I, I was riding on the highway recently and I got behind a construction vehicle. And oftentimes these construction vehicles will have something posted on the back of their car and it'll say something like this. This is a construction vehicle. Do not follow. And do you know why it says that? Because that or they're going somewhere where you're not supposed to go. Like they're going to make a, a left turn onto the dirt path to create a road for you to one day go down. But you shouldn't follow them down that dirt path because you don't have the same kind of vehicle they do. And they're going before you to pave the way so that one day you can do what they're doing without the, without the need of the huge vehicle. And so there's a couple of warnings in an image like that. Um, one is just to recognize how do we learn from each other? You know, there's different, there's different roles that each of us have within the life of the church. And for a construction car, they're going to pave the way so that others can follow. So we, we are to learn and we're to watch to see what they're going to do. But we're not to just mimic them. We're not to just copy them because they have a different task and a different role than we do in our little Honda Accord or whatever we're driving that we get destroyed by the potholes that they're going to go over. But also there's this reality of if you go down a path before you're ready, it may cause real damage to you as well. And so God knows that. Um, there's a warning here for faith. And as we read through 28 different examples, you're going to see some really intense examples of faith. People doing some really uh, bold acts of courageous living. And you're going to see some people who, who paid the ultimate price for their faith, especially towards the end of chapter 11. It talks about people that laid down their lives as a martyr's faith, a martyr's death. But they all lived before Jesus as examples of faith in their unique ways and in hard ways. They're examples of people who look forward to the promise and how God used them to continue his purposes. They're people who lived in humility. They didn't think of themselves as spiritual superstars who would one day be included in a chapter of the Bible. I think they just lived out their unique calling in their timing as God nudged them along. They were trusting in God who called them. In verse 39, it talks about these people as, um, let, me, let me get the exact quote for you. It's a beautiful verse. Uh, it says, verse 38, I'm sorry. It says, these were people of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. These are people who lived life so differently than the pervading culture around them that actually it feels like the world was not even worthy of them because they lived for something greater than just the world that they were seeing in front of them. They counted the cost of living for God willingly. They stepped out in faith and they even experienced some pushback or persecution. They were able to find a stability in an unstable world that allowed them to live by faith in a beautiful way. The quote that's on the front of your bulletin, I think, is a resonating quote for a sermon like this. It's by an author named Dane Ortland, And he says, 
When insults send us reeling backwards and when life hurts, our eyes, our eyes are being lifted off of the unstable things of the world and back onto the stable God of the Bible. And we are being given back our true selves. Living by faith does not, does not mean it's going to be easy to live. It just enables you to live through the instability by directing again your eyes back on the stability of the promise-making, promise-keeping God. And so as we read through these 28 different examples in Hebrews 11, we should be asking the question of, are we willing to live lives of beautiful faith like they are? People who are now famous, but they were once anonymous. People who laid down everything to trust in God. People who experienced difficulty so that they could show us the way. They're like the construction vehicle going in front of us so that one day we could go on the same path. They were commended for their faith, verse 39 says, even though they did not receive what was promised yet because they were still looking ahead to Jesus. And you and I on the other side of the cross are looking back at Jesus and now we're united through this beautiful faith by seeing the redemption of Jesus on the cross. Somehow we have to do this without comparing our lives to one another. But by encouraging one another as we approach the day. You know, one pastor was commenting on Hebrews 11 and he says this. He says, Christians are not always rewarded the same in this life for their faith. He says, Abel was murdered, but Enoch was taken away from the world and didn't die. Daniel was shut, uh, Daniel shut lions' mouths when he was in the lion's den, while others were eaten by lions in the Colosseum. Some of them were famous, others are forgotten. The point is to keep trusting because one day God will reward us in full, no matter which life he's called us to live. But that's the life of faith. They were all pointing ahead to Jesus, who was, quote, better in verse 40. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So the last point I want to leave you with as we begin to transition into Holy Week in Hebrews 12 for next week is that faith is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Faith is not just short sprints and then rest, short sprints and then rest. Faith is, is a marathon of life. And part of marathon is taking rest, Sabbath rest. But a marathon also means that this is the entirety of your life. Hebrews 12.1 says, Since we are surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, it says we are to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Meaning, stop with the multitasking of trying to do more and more and more and make sure you're focused on the singularly most important thing, which is following Jesus. Throw off everything that hinders, the things that are not even necessarily sinful, but the things that are just extra weights or extra burdens or impediments to your journey. Think about a hiker who's packed a, a backpack to go on his journey, 
And he's just packed really unnecessary, heavy things that are holding him back. The author of Hebrews is saying, for your spiritual journey, throw out the heavy things from your backpack that you don't need. Keep the essentials, the essentials, and walk towards Jesus in faith. And especially throw off the sin that entangles, the sin that gets all twisted up into your life, that throws you off track, that traps you and that that makes you trip and that makes you stumble. Do everything you can to throw those things to the side. And instead, run with perseverance the race that is marked out for you. I, I really think that the New Testament theme that is most overlooked is this theme of perseverance. That if you, if you read through the, the New Testament, you see words like perseverance, continue, abide, remain, be steadfast. It's all different English words, but it's all the same idea of continue on, persevere, endure, run the marathon of faith and do it together with others around you. You know, there were runners out in front of the church this morning running a, a long race, longer than what I'd like to run this morning. And it just was an image, even walking into the church building today of just as we exercise our, our physical legs, so we exercise our, our spiritual selves as well. That we need that endurance that comes through training for righteousness. By doing things like you're doing now, coming to the, to the large body of Christ to worship and to be encouraged and to listen to the word of God and to pray, to do it together, to lean on God's strength and to know that we can keep going even when the world is unstable. A great sum up point, G.K. Chesterton says, faith is that which is able to survive a mood. A lot of us are moody people. Faith survives your mood, it provides that stability for you. Final story for you. This will be a wrap up point. I have a good friend of mine who's also a pastor and um, he told me this story. This is a true story. I, was, I thought this was an amazing story. He was, he was the best man in a wedding one time. And um, the wedding day came. And so uh, the groom was getting all ready. They were about to walk out into the front of the church for the wedding ceremony. And the groom realized that he had forgotten his contact lenses at his hotel or somewhere far enough away to where he couldn't go back and get them right then. And he was panicked. He said, I don't have my contact lenses. I'm not gonna be able to see my bride when she walks down the aisle. And it just so happens that the best man, my friend who's telling the story, had the same prescription contact lenses as his friend and he literally took out his contacts, gave them to the groom so that he could wear them for the wedding ceremony and see his bride walk down the aisle. Now, that's an image of the church so that we can help each other to fix our eyes on Jesus. As we walk into Holy Week and we learn more about who Jesus is, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. 
may we have that same kind of, of beautiful humility that my friend showed by giving his, literally his sight to his friend. That's what the church does. That's what we do together. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. So let's walk forward in faith together. Let me close us in prayer and we'll sing, Be Thou My Vision. Heavenly Father, we, we want to pray at the end of the service today um, that we would, we would somehow learn how to live by faith. Um, that our eyes would be fixed on you, that you would give us a new ability to see what we really can't see in front of us. Um, it takes a whole new set of lenses to see, to see your plan unfolding in the world, to see what Jesus has done for us. And so as we walk into Holy Week and into Easter, where we have so much, so much spiritual expectation for, for the meaning that it gives to our life. We want to see it. We want to understand it. We want to have our lives changed. So give us faith that we don't have in and of ourselves. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.